Dear colleagues, welcome to the view from the Thorax Center for Ratcliffe Cardiology. This time we review or we preview the upcoming late-breaking trials at the ACC 2023 in New Orleans. Um, as always, I do this preview together with my good friend and colleague uh, Joost Dame. And let's start with some structural uh, trials that will be presented. And first, I would uh, want to start with Triluminate. Triluminate is the first of its kind. It's a randomized controlled trial evaluating tricuspid repair, transcatheter tricuspid repair with an edge-to-edge -edge technique versus medical therapy or guideline-directed medical therapy. And obviously, for the treatment of tricuspid regurgitation, uh, we have diuretics and that's about it. Uh, 350 patients uh, have been enrolled and then randomized one-to-one -to, -one to either a triclip or guideline-directed medical therapy. And Paul Saraja will present for the first time the primary outcome of the study. The primary outcome is a hierarchical composite of all-cause death and then also a composite of um, need for tricuspid surgery, hospitalizations, and also improvement in quality of life. I think it is kind of a special study because, again, it's the first of its kind, but there are also a, a couple of unknowns from uh, an outsider uh, point of view. Uh, so I'm very much questioning how was patient selection being done? Because obviously you cannot uh, do a transcatheter edge-to-edge -edge repair in all patients with tricuspid regurgitation. And also how uh, is the issue of ICDs and pacemakers uh, taken care of? Because we also know that a lot of or many patients with tricuspid regurgitation have TR because of their device that is uh, running across from the right atrium to the right ventricle. So those are uh, some of the unknowns. Uh, I think it's going to be very difficult to find uh, meaningful effects on heart clinical endpoints at one year. Uh, so I'll be interested in uh, the effects obviously on the TR. I, I, I would assume that uh, the triclip will uh, be able to reduce tricuspid regurgitation, but how will it affect quality of life and six-minute walk test? How will it affect functional capacity of those patients? Those are the data that I'm looking forward to, Joost. Yeah, totally agree. I think it's an interesting, uh, interesting study, and it's probably one of the uh, one of the first that we will face for uh, uh, tricuspid disease in the coming decade. I mean, the co-op-like trials are urgently needed, yeah. also in the, in the tricuspid space. Uh, I do have a little bit of an issue with an endpoint combining mortality and very soft endpoints like ACCQ scores. So. I'm not sure how we're going to interpret this uh, the, the, an endpoint like this in a study in which mostly I, I assume patients be, be enrolled that are elderly, inoperable, uh, in, in, in relatively poor quality of life conditions. So let's see. Um, but I think the authors already should be congratulated for um, performing a study like this, which is uh, urgently needed. And it will set the stage for many more trials Absolutely. In, that, uh, Absolutely. in that regard. There is another trial, but then on the mitral valve. It's the mm. UK mini mitral study. This is a randomized controlled study from the UK involving 316 patients randomized one-to-one -to, -one to either minimal invasive mitral repair or conventional open heart surgery with mitral repair. Uh, the primary endpoint is already at 12 weeks following surgery and it is basically the quality of life of the patients. Luckily, there is also a echo core lab involved to evaluate the effects on MR reduction early, but also at one year. And then there is a follow-up out to five years to look at key clinical and health economic mm. uh, outcomes. I'm not sure whether they're gonna present all the data, 
but uh, I, I do feel that uh, it's going to be interesting to see how in a prospective study minimal invasive surgery performs with conventional open heart surgery. I agree. Uh, interesting concept. Uh, however, again, talking about the endpoint, I mean, as of 36 as a primary endpoint, you know, it's, it's, it's a score with eight domains, uh, uh, domains ranging from vitality to physical functioning to pain to, to all mm -hmm. kinds of, of specific areas in which the patient needs to answer uh, a variety of questions. Yeah. Relatively soft, but uh, yeah, I, I'm... I'm, I'm looking forward to the findings. I think it, uh, if, if positive people say yes, indeed, minimal invasive is better. Um, if negative, would that withhold the surgeons nowadays to do to mini mitral repair? I don't know. I, I'm but you know, in a prospective randomized controlled study, that has never been established, right? So that's, that's why yeah. the, this study is of interest. But that, that's why mainly the secondary endpoints yeah. to me are perhaps more interesting than the, uh, yeah. than the primary. But yeah. that's at um, more on structural and co-opt. Yeah, so more on mitral regurgitation. And we are all familiar with the primary results of the co-op trial that were published already almost five years ago in 2018, mm. when um, the mitral, mitral clip was evaluated in patients with HEFREF uh, and functional mitral regurgitation. 614 patients and at 24 months, the mitral clip cohort was outscoring the patients in the cohort with guideline-directed medical therapy mm. only um, in terms of rehospitalizations and mortality. Obviously, a very selected set of patients with a screening committee that was involved and that also turned down a lot of the patients that were screened for the study. So in terms of generalizability and, and applicability to our everyday clinical practice, we need to be more realistic, I feel. Mm. That said, it's, it's interesting to, to see how many patients will survive at five years because also, because we have to bear in mind that we're talking about HEFREF patients and you would expect a mortality rate, annual mortality rate of 10%. So, at, so you would expect almost 50% of the patients uh, died at, at five years. So we'll see whether, whether that happens. And then in the surviving patients, you also wanna evaluate the durability of the MR reduction with tear. So, is this effect lasting out to five years uh, from an MR reduction point of view? And then will it translate into better outcome? Yeah. Interesting. To me, to me, the primary endpoint that five year has little value. I mean, the, the, the study proved its point that one year, two years, recently even yeah. three years. So, I mean, there's no argue that the event curves remain clearly uh, in favor of the, of the clip arm. But what will be interesting, at least to me, is in these patients, uh, what, what the durability of the tear itself will be in terms of, uh, of MR at, yeah. at, at the longer run. And yeah. uh, I think that will, uh, will put the, uh, the, the therapy in perspective in terms of durability also when we would like to apply it to low-risk patients and so on. And, and we also have to bear in mind, it's a first-generation MitroClip device. Yeah. Uh, we now are working with four-generation mm. devices. So we're only getting better uh, in that regard. Yep. Alrighty, absolute low risk, three yeah. year, more long-term follow-up. Yeah, more long-term follow-up of a randomized controlled trial that had its primary endpoint already published in the New England Journal uh, several years ago, this time in, I think, 2019. Yeah. Uh, in Evolute Low Risk, we're talking about patients with severe symptomatic aortic stenosis randomized to either the Evolute uh, platform versus surgery. The mean age of the patients was 74 years old, the STS score was below 2%, uh, and at two years, the 
Tavi seemed to be non-inferior to surgery. But the interesting part was uh, in the early publication in the New England was that only uh, 70% and 65% in the both cohorts reached the two-year end mark. So this was a Bayesian analysis and the median follow-up of all the patients was one year. Mm -hmm. So the Bayesian analysis allows you to predict the outcomes at two years. So there's always, yes, but what if the Bayesian analysis was not effective? So it most often doesn't happen in Surtavi that did the exact same statistical analysis plan and turned out to be quite reproducible. Now uh, we'll see how it behaves, this Bayesian analysis um, with the uh, evolute low risk, but uh, the interesting part is probably we will get a three-year follow-up of all the patients. And that is going to be of interest. Yeah. I don't think there is going to be a difference in bioprosthetic valve degeneration out to three years, but we know that the valve performance of TAVI is superior to surgery, at least with a self-expanding supraanular functioning valve. And does that translate in different outcome in terms of mortality and rehospitalizations? That is the big question. Yep, looking forward. And Up to the coronary space. Yes, we moved to the coronaries and that's another trial that had its primary endpoint or outcome already published in the New England Journal and that is the revived BCIS. And this is a trial of patients with ischemic cardiomyopathy randomized to revascularization mm. with PCI or guideline-directed medical therapy and the trial was a negative study. So at one year there was no difference in the outcome of death or heart failure rehospitalizations. sorry, at a median follow-up of 41 months. It was of interest that in the PCI arm there was an improvement in quality of life at one year that no longer mm -hmm. existed later on in the study. I assume that at this point uh, at ACC, they will uh, present a sub-analysis looking at myocardial viability and the effect of the mm -hmm. viability studies on uh, the trial results. But I think uh, taking one step back, um, we were already quite critical from, uh, from the start because in this study, the majority of the patients were asymptomatic. So why would we then send these patients to the cat lab for a revascularization? So that was a little bit of a um, difficult to understand from my end because that does not reflect our clinical practice. We would not send a patient uh, with an ischemic cardiomyopathy who is asymptomatic to the cat lab for revascularization. And obviously that will um, bring this study involves patients that we hardly see in our practice. So again the the adoption to our clinical practice from this trial is limited in my opinion yeah again i think conceptually a very interesting study uh, the investigators obviously did not anticipate or did not aim to have a population with 65 percent of patients being asymptomatic no. but with two patients per site per year enrolled mm -hmm. i mean i think that attests to the to the selection that has been uh, yeah. subject uh, to to the to, to the population of this trial um yeah, quality of life was better in the PCI. I'm not exactly sure what this subgroup analysis or post-hoc analysis will uh, contain, but uh, we'll see. Stay tuned, yes. So let's move on now to uh, the PCI arena. Yeah. Uh, and we start with Renovate Complex PCI. What is that? Yeah, Renovate Complex PCI is a international multi-center trial from, uh, from South Korea, randomizing 1,640 patients to a uh, IVIS-guided PCI, or imaging-guided PCI, I should say, versus angio-guided PCI approach in a two-by-two two factorial setting. 
So meaning next to the IVIS or OCT guided prevascularization versus the angio-guided prevascularization, they will also be randomized to the use of drug-coated balloons or DES uh, in a setting in which patients need to have complex disease, so osteolesions, long lesions, CTOs, etc. So an interesting study, but with the caveats that we will at the end be confronted with uh, the results of patients that have been subject to a treatment with a drug-coated balloon, which is not yet standard of care, I would say, in complex PCI, and uh, mixing uh, OCT and IVIS also in a complex setting, uh, which is to me not really intuitive. We know that there are cases in which you would prefer OCT uh, above IVIS and vice versa, specifically in the setting of, of complex PCI. Um, again, a South Korean study, uh, we have learned over the past decades that uh, the investigators keep surprising us with the usually positive trials. So I'm looking forward, I think the study will, uh, will be positive specifically with respect to the uh, imaging endpoint. But it's, uh, it's a trial that is uh, uh, preceding several randomized control trials on the subject, uh, being uh, improved, being iSTEMI, being IVIS chip. So there's a, a large series of large international multicenter randomized controlled outcome trials, which will hopefully uh, result in a um, higher level, level of evidence to get uh, imaging in our guidelines. But now, first, renovate complex PCI. And it's, and it's relevant uh, that this study is coming there uh, from, from South Korea, because we know that the Asian countries, notably mm. South Korea and Japan, yeah. have the highest uptake of invasive imaging. So they are the most experienced. So if we see some kind of a signal there, mm. it will probably also um, predict the results of, for instance, CHIP IVIS, which is a large randomized controlled study ongoing now uh, here in, in Rotterdam and, uh, and globally. Yeah, no, that's a really very relevant column comment indeed. So the eight randomized controlled trials and a wealth of registries that are available on the superiority of imaging guided PCI are coming from the Asian countries. Yeah. Yeah. And that for sure does not represent, as you rightfully mentioned, the uh, Western practice. But okay, um, more on coronary re revascularization is coming from the BioVasc trial. So BioVasc is a, a multi-center randomized controlled trial comparing immediate versus stage complete revascularization in patients presenting with ACS. Uh, the study was actually initiated here in Erasmus by Nicolas together with Roberto Di Letti. Uh, international multi-center in Europe, 1,500 patients were enrolled and uh, Roberto will present the, uh, the primary endpoint which will be a composite of uh, uh, all-cause mortality, MI, repeat revascularization and cerebrovascular events at a uh, one-year timing. Yeah, obviously uh, we are highly conflicted now so yes. I, we, we cannot comment uh, on the outcome but I think this is definitely a relevant study because for the first time we look uh, prospectively in how to do uh, a complete revascularization in a patient with ACS. And there is a subgroup in STEMI and a subgroup with non-STEMI. And uh, I think we'll, we'll get um, practical information that may help guide practice, uh, everyday clinical practice. Um, so we'll, we'll get back to that in our, uh, in in our wrap, wrap up. up. Yes, sir. But uh, we'll, let's move on to statins. And uh, there's always a lot of uh, drug therapies uh, at ACC. So what have we now? Yeah, so statins, but not just statins. I would say uh, therapy for uh, dyslipidemia as well as therapy for hypertension is, is one of our typical uh, uh, topics that we like to cover in our uh, previews and wrap ups. 
Uh, this year, uh, two studies, people, uh, three studies actually would like to highlight on, on this lipidemia. One is the YELLOW trial, which is still an interventional trial. So YELLOW3 is an interventional uh, trial, 140 patients with uh, chronic coronary syndromes undergoing a PCI. will have a, a multimodality imaging with IVIS and uh, nearest IVIS and OCT of a non-corporate artery with, uh, in case of an intermediate coronary lesion. All patients uh, will receive evolocumab at baseline, from one baseline on top of routine statin therapy, and will be re-evaluated at uh, 26 weeks. So with that, the LO3 trial is the missing link in the, uh, in the spectrum of data that we have now for evolocumab. So you all know you have uh, Glagov, we have Huygens uh, demonstrating that the addition of evolocumab as compared to placebo helps to de significantly decrease percentage ateroma volume uh, cap thickness and uh, plug volume in general and lipid arc as identified by OCT I should say. Um, whereas with Alirokumab, with Pac-Man, which was a little bit of a more complete trial, everything was shown to be positive. Less uh, percentage ateroma volume with uh, Alirokumab as compared to placebo, 2% decrease. Uh, a decrease in the lipid core burden index and stabilization of the plug with a um, increase of the cap thickness. Yellow tree is the missing link for evolocumab now finally telling us whether the addition of evolocumab will help to decrease the uh, lipid core burden index uh, as compared to baseline in uh, patients with chronic coronary syndrome. Yeah, definitely high expectations for this uh, specific set of mm -hmm. medical therapy for lipid lowering and the PCSK9 yep. inhibitors. Uh, unfortunately it is uh, still um, in terms of reimbursement, a challenge. Uh, we cannot put all our patients uh, who are at high risk of coronary events on these drugs. But I do feel that this is the way to go. The lower we can get these cholesterol levels, the better. And uh, there is also another trial uh, in that regard, and that is the CLEAR outcomes trial. And this is a study evaluating bampedoic acid uh, in patients who are intolerant for statins. And a respectable number of more than 14,000 patients are randomized one-to-one -to, -one to either bampedoic acid uh, or uh, control. Uh, Steve Nissen is going to present the outcomes of that trial and uh, the primary uh, composite endpoint is typical uh, composite endpoint of cardiovascular death, myocardial infarction, non-fatal stroke or coronary revascularization. The median, the estimated follow-up is almost four years and the question then is okay is bampedoic acid really effective and also, does it come with fewer side effects than statins? Because bampedoic acid, like statins, works on the cholesterol synthesis uh, in the liver, but uh, it, is, it is a prodrug that is not um, metabolized in the muscles. And that is the part of the statins that, is, that may oh. be responsible for these muscle pains in patients on statins that obviously will not happen in patients with bampedoic acid. So, First, there is the outcome. Will it reach uh, its primary endpoint? And then it is, what about side effects? But if everything points in the right uh, direction, then I think we are uh, on the, you know, we'll, we, will, we can expect multiple randomized controlled trials in the near future with bampedoic acid in patients with uh, chronic and acute coronary syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. This is one of the drugs that are will likely uh, have the potential to change our practice. Um, 
irrespective of the mechanisms of action, irrespective of the potency of the drug, I think patient adherence is critical here. Mm. And I think it, the, the study is very cleverly designed in a way that they only enrolled patients with, with statin and Torrens. And we all know that that maybe pertains only to 5% of the patients. So those In the trials? But in, in our practice, it's one in five. Eh? But that's what I'm saying. So yeah. it's at the end, it's all about patient adherence. And yeah. then you have one in five that admits he has muscle pain, but yeah. then you still have one in two that, that says, I have no pain, but they don't take their drugs. Yeah. And in case patients do tolerate this better, um, I think we have a strong agent that will that has the potential to re maybe replace statins uh, in, a, in a large amount of patients. And at the end, irrespective of what type of drug the patient takes, it will help to improve outcome because, again, the lower LDL, the better. Yeah. Good. There's more. There's one more agent we would like to mention very briefly. is one is uh, MK0616, which is a code name again for a, a novel agent. And this is the Merck agent, which is a, uh, one of the first, or maybe the first, I'm not sure, um, oral uh, PCSK9 inhibitor. The drug demonstrated already to be very potent, 65% LDL reduction on top of statins as compared to statins alone in, uh, in previous data. And that is similar to the similar, parenteral? Yeah, similar yeah. to the, to the, to the uh, subcutaneous. Yeah. Yeah. And um, in this case, it's a phase two trial, 316 patients who were randomized to uh, four doses of uh, MKO16 versus placebo. Uh, obviously looking again for safety and efficacy, but uh, also an agent that uh, may become very appealing to a uh, large uh, category of patients, obviously depending on how this will be marketed and, uh, and priced, but uh, I think it's, uh, it's something to look out for. And again, side effects. Huh? And again, side effects. Yeah, yeah. patient tolerance. Okay, Good. with that, I think uh, we have something to look forward to uh, at, New in, at ACC in New Orleans. Uh, Thank you for uh, staying with us for this preview and we, we hope to see you back after ACC for the wrap up from the Thorax Center. Thank you Thank very you. much. Bye -bye.